Hello, Word Bosses, and welcome to another episode of Pinpoint Your Perspective podcast. I am your host, Erica Parker, and today we have a great guest in um, that's going to be speaking to us about tons of things regarding writing, regarding his uh, multiple projects that he has going on. But first of all, let's go ahead and address the formalities, which is being able to have that relationship with Pinpoint Your Perspective to be able to have um, more knowledge about up-and-coming authors, um, current authors, future authors, and then also people that are tied to writing in different ways. We talk about all all things writing here at Pinpoint Your Perspective, whether it's for your business, whether it's for uh, self-therapy, whether it is to help others. So please uh, follow us on Instagram. It's Pinpoint Podcast on Instagram. And then this is also brought to you by Lyrical Innovations LLC. You can follow us at Facebook and Instagram as well. Um, I am Erica Parker. I am a ghostwriting, uh, I'm a ghostwriter, a writing coach, and then I do also assist people with all things writing as well. So uh, look me up on Facebook under Erica Parker, E-R-Y-K-A Parker, and you can contact us at hello at lyricalinnovationsllc.com. So, on to the reason for this episode. Um, We have Jay Floyd here with us. Jay Floyd is a podcast host. He's a motivational speaker, life coach, and author. He has a lot of titles, just like me, so I'm excited to jump in with Jay. Um, He has authored The Poet Who Watched the Whole Parade, which is a memoir of spiritual reflection um, that kind of touches on his traumatic childhood experiences. He also co-authored The Unofficial Guide to Fatherhood, which is a medley of stories from a band of proud fathers that offers their opinions and advice on the pressures, expectations, and challenges of fatherhood. And finally, his latest book, which is The Dry seat, climb out of life's back seat and step into your God-given purpose, which is an instructional guide on taking an active role in our journeys. So Floyd helps his readers who lack control and over their situations as well as not really quite feeling like they have um, the proper hold on their life as well as living in their purpose. Floyd focuses on empowering others to live bold and assertive lives that please God. His work delves into the various aspects of human nature, and he presents a unique take on life with his bold message, love is the ultimate victory regardless of what you've been through. So, welcome to Pinpoint Your Perspective, Jay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes. You know, Pinpoint Your Perspective, when we first started off, we we uh, actually partnered with a network called the Divas That Care Network, and it was for women. And I had so many people, Jay was one of them, that reached out and said, hey, yeah. what about the fellas? You're forgetting about us. So I decided to go ahead and feature a lot more um, males this season in season two of Pinpoint Your Perspective. So thank you so much for reaching out and showing your interest. And so we're excited to have have you today listen i'm excited to be on i love what you do i mean as soon as i saw your platform and what you were presenting i was like man i, I want to be a part of that that's why it's like man are are dudes welcome on here because this is a great platform <laughs> thank you so, so i really much. appreciate you expanding and including us because this is really great thank you and so we're clevelanders right so we have to hold each other down Absolutely. <laughs> so why don't you tell us Absolutely. a little bit about, just give us, you know, I gave a little intro, but, you know, a, a great place to start would probably be, you have three books under your belt. Choose one of them yeah. that you want to talk about and just tell us how you got started with it, what inspired the process. Oh, man, 
Wow. Okay, I, I'm going to try to truncate some of these because I have a tendency to tell hour-long stories. <laughs> but <laughs> That's okay. I would say that my, my first book is probably uh, the most instrumental in me becoming uh, anything in the literary world uh, because I was kind of working on it for over a decade. It was just bubbling in my mind, and that's The Poet Who Watched the Whole Parade. It is my life story. Um you know, growing up, I went through a lot of traumatic events, uh, with my old, my only brother being murdered, uh, losing both of my parents, uh, also losing my uncle to, you know, the pimp game and prison and ultimately death through drugs. And it was just a, a myriad of things that were, that were traumatic, uh, impactful and extremely unique to the Midwest and Ohio in the eighties. Like a, a lot of things. Uh, so as I was coming into my adulthood, I felt like I owed it to all of these people who had such a great impact on my life, and they were these huge personalities, and I wanted to paint a picture and let them live one more time. So that book, The Poet, is really a very uniquely structured book in that there's one chapter for each person that I feature. So my father, my mom, my brother, my uncle, my grandmother, and then in between each chapter is kind of me in the present day discussing how they impacted my life and uh you know each each chapter is very descriptive and kind of brings the reader into what it what would it feel like to live with this person what would it feel like to have this brother what would it feel like to have that uncle you know and it's really vivid like i said my, my uncle was an actual pimp not like the pimp that we talk about you know in colloquial terms or in hip-hop these days but the real deal. So, you know, growing up as a small child around these kind of things, I really wanted to paint that picture for people because I noticed there's, there's some seeds in a lot of those stories that a lot of people can relate to. Right. So who is the ideal reader? Who is going to get out of it what you what you intended? Ooh, the ideal reader. You know, I thought about that as I was writing it. Um, I think anybody who can relate to the 80s or has an affinity for culture from the 80s, anybody who can relate to the Midwest, or anybody who's interested in life stories, because one of the things about life stories is even if you're not from that area, you can relate to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I can read a story about a, a teenager growing up in uh, in London and, and relate to a British experience because it's interesting. Right. You know, and that's what I wanted to do about 1980s Cleveland is just as interesting as London or Victorian era or anything else, you know? So I really wanted to paint that picture in that way. Yes, great. So was this a therapeutic process for you? Is Did you do it for the therapy? Did you do it to make an impact? What do you think was the driving force for you with writing this? Definitely, definitely therapy. Um, it was a cathartic experience. Mm. Um, you know, when I, when I met my wife, the first date we went on, uh, she asked me what I wanted to do with my life. And I told her I always wanted to be a writer because my mom always wanted to be a writer. And it kind of like, it lived in me too. And um, I remember her response was, well, you will be. And wow. you know, she asked me what kind of stories I had. And I have some fiction stories in me. But when I got to this one about my life, you know, it became very obvious that I needed to write this in order to become who I was supposed to be. Yes. 
you know, these things happen to me, these experiences, even the losses, which are not completely losses, they were gains to begin with, you know, even these things that I went through, in order for me to fully experience them and bring them to God's glory, I needed to get this book out. Wow. I needed to complete it. Mm. That's amazing. Wow. So, that, and I always say, we're walking stories. Everyone that you meet, you know, when you talk to people and they're like, I want to write a book, and that's what I hear when I tell people what I do. I don't say, oh, that's just another person saying it. They have a story because we all do. We all have things that we can mm-hmm. share that can help someone within us. And it's just about having the courage and the desire to help to actually put it out there. Yes, sometimes it takes some transparency. I'm sure that in this book, there's a lot of transparency that you had to kind of embrace um, and some, uh, you know, things that maybe aren't ideal that you had to share um, with your readers, but in it is healing. So how do you deal with those types of situations where your story, of course, is always going to intersect with someone else's story and in sharing your story, you are now exposing someone else. You know, were there conversations that had to be had in order to get there? Did you change names and details? How did you kind of, cause I'm sure there was some resistance in some areas, um, with family that maybe not be named, but maybe they're like, that's my brother you're talking about or so forth, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. So t- walk us through that part. Yeah. You know, I, I thought about that when I originally started the book, you know, my friends were like, man, I don't know how you're brave enough to do this. You know, they're like, you know, what you've been through, you obviously have enough to write a book, but how are you brave enough to get all of this out? And honestly, it's something that I had to force myself to think about because I I firmly feel like I own my experience. Yes. You know, there are some other people who may be affected by it, but my truth is mine. Yes. And, you know, another person can feel how they want to feel about it, but my job is to bring glory to God. I'm not out to slander anyone. I'm not going to tell anything that's not true to me. This is my truth and my experience, and I feel like... Uh, if, if I withhold it or if I over overly sanitize it, I'm doing myself a disservice and God a disservice. So uh, there was one instance in the book where I did cleanse a name, but only for the reasons of this was a person that my mom dated, and um, I just had no way to get in touch with that person. So I didn't want to bring that person up by name, so I kind of gave them a title. Mm-hmm. But, and you know, it, it actually wasn't that difficult because in going through the book, the kind of stories that I'm telling are not slanderous or extremely controversial. Even people in my family would, you know, they see it and they they know the truth and they feel that person is back alive again too. You know, so it's not like a um, a tell-all book, although it is not, not sanitized. It's telling my experience. From my, you know, from birth to age of about 18. I love it. And, yeah, you know, so I didn't really give a whole lot of thought to it, but I think that is a very pertinent um, point. But for me, I feel like everyone owns their story and their truth, but you owe it to yourself to tell it in the best way. Yes. And I think that saves a lot of things. I love it. That's great. Okay, so let's pick another one. You got three. Let's pick an. What's the next book that you want to discuss? 
You know, I, I want to talk about my most recent one because I think it's kind of a dovetail to the first one. Okay. In that, um, you know, in, in going through what I went through and uh, losing uh, and experiencing the loss of a lot of loved ones, I struggled a lot with anxiety, with depression, you know, all through my colleges, through my 20s, trying to have relationships and failing. Eventually, I, I went to a therapist. Mm-hmm. And that therapist, you know, I... I sat down on this therapist's couch and I told her my entire life story. I basically told her the poet who watched the whole parade before it was a book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sat for hours and hours and I did 99% of the talking. And I remember, you know, I would tell a story about when I was younger, my mom would drive us a lot because we didn't have a place to stay a lot. And, you know, my brother would be in the passenger seat and I was in the back you know, before kid child seats. Right. And so, you know, I would have my head poked up into the front seat right in between my mom and my brother, just soaking in everything they were saying. And they were some of the most intelligent, worldly, personality-filled people. So I learned about life. That was my school, having my head poked in between them as we drove around. And I remember at the end of the sessions, the therapist diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. obviously, mm. you know. And she also said that I had panic disorder, which is a congenital thing that you're born with. And she said the best way for you to move forward, you have all of the tools. The best way for you to move forward is right now you're still sitting in that back seat. Wow. And your mom and your brother are still driving your life. She said they're not here anymore. And you're going to have to properly mourn them so you can get in that front seat and drive. And that determined everything. Like, it changed my life from that point on because I understood that writing my first book, The Poet, was part of me mourning them, letting them go. And once I got to the driver's seat, that was the next step. Now it's time to have the courage to get out, step into that driver's seat, and take control of my life. Yeah, God is going to be my GPS. He's going to lead me. But I got to grab that wheel because if I don't and I sit in the back and I remain passive aggressive and timid, my car is just crashing into everybody. I'm hurting people that I don't intend to hurt. My life is not on track to where God intended it. I'm not fulfilling my potential. And that was the manifestation of my, my book, The Driver's Seat. Wow. And that's what spawned workshops and speeches because that is a story that so many people deal with themselves how do we an active role in our life that's an that's an amazing story wow when you think about therapy right it's like okay so first of all we all need it there's a there's a lot of pride and i'm not even going to say the black male community i'm just going to say the male you know sex period There's a lot of resistance when it comes to therapy. There are so many things to unpack in our lives that we don't even realize until we get into that office and sit down on that couch. We don't even realize it. We're carrying around burdens and things that have happened to us that we don't even realize. And so, and you, number one, having the courage to go and say, look, I recognize that I need this help. You know, and and whether it's becoming a father, I don't know what propelled you to to book that appointment or if you've been going all along, but the 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 power of that 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 
I guess, experience that just kind of fell on you when you were there and what resulted from it, which is you helping other people in addition, like having one hand up and one hand back is amazing. And I, I just can't, I have to take a minute here because, you know, Father's Day is coming up this weekend and we have so many men that are fathering children and who are there but are not present who are in the in the space but they're not mentally present because of what they have yet to unfold and unpack. Um and it's almost like segueing into the third book but not really because I want to kind of spend some time here. So what are you doing in these sessions as you are, you know, the driver's seat sessions? Like what are you kind of talking about and kind of um exploring with the attendees in these sessions? Well, the driver's seat is really patterned out like a step-by-step guide. I wanted to make it, uh, it's really aimed at, I won't say men, but it's aimed at a certain segment of the population that's kind of stuck. And so I feel like the best thing you can do is give step-by-step instructions. So the first thing we do, you know, is, uh, is what I call your life as a spaceship. You know, it's, we go through a full chapter of redefining what our lives mean, because I think so many of us kind of get downtrodden by what's happened to us, by, you know, maybe inadequacy or insecurities, and we lose track of the fact that we are divine beings. Like, the, it takes a multiple miracles for us to even wake up in the morning, you know, and like they say the miracle is not to fly in the air, the miracle is to walk on the earth. Mm. So just the fact that we woke up, we got chosen for God's plan again, and that's powerful yes and i think when we remember that it helps us feel like okay i can take command of this day i can give god back the glory and say thank you for waking me up Mm. and i can you know it empowers us to take that wheel so we start with that then we start working through the past because we have a lot of us have what i call seat belts you know there's reasons we're stuck in that back seat we're not just sitting there because we feel like it there's a lot of things that have us strapped in, you know, things in our past. You know, they say almost all of us, uh, there's a piece of us that's stuck at the point in time where we receive the least love. And for a lot of us, that may be six years old, that may be eight years old. You know, and those moments drag us back if we don't properly process them. And that's the thing that I've noticed in, in giving out these workshops. And a lot of the people who attend the workshops become life coaching clients of mine and this is what i've been noticing is that the majority of it is that we just do not process emotion very well Mm. so we we as human beings we as men we as black men i would say we as human beings for one and worse in the entire black community i won't say men because i think for women it's a huge struggle Mm. it's a huge struggle um i think it's just the thing about the difference between men and women, especially in the black community, is a lot of us men, we, you know, we're hunters by nature. Biologically, we're hunters. So we're all about finding efficiency of energy shortcuts. Mm. So we find shortcuts and hiding places. You know, mm. just like Adam in Genesis was hiding. This is what we do. Women are never in a position where they can hide. They have to show up. They have to raise the baby. They have to get up and do it. So, you know, it seems as though they're dealing with it. 
but a lot of times they're still not dealing with it. You know, they may be 35 years old, and this is the case with a lot of my clients. You can get to 35 years old, you know, with a good career, with a good job, with a good, uh, with a child, but not be able to make a marriage work because you struggle with accepting love and knowing how to give love and knowing how to make a relationship work. And that's a lot of our story. Yes. So, so I think, I wouldn't say it's a difference between men and women. I think we experience it differently, but we all suffer from this. And that's why I wanted to write this biography and take it to another level with the workshop because I don't want to just do a book signing. Wow. I want to meet people face-to-face and say, look, this is my life. And if it's not something that you just miraculously heal from, I have to wake up and remind myself of this every day. And if you can benefit from it, let me tell you about it, and we can work through it. Are you familiar familiar with Taraji P. Henson's um, Can We Talk initiative that she has going on? I have, I read some articles about it. Yeah. I, yeah, this is this is reminiscent of that because she is talking about the stigma of strong black woman and how she never really could mm-hmm. get on board with that because of what it kind of... The projection of it, that you have to be this strong black woman always. You can't be vulnerable. You can't um, be reliant. You have to be self-sufficient. You have to hold it all down and not ask for help and not, you know, cry when you need to cry and, and be weak when you need to be weak um, is amazing. I, I, I really identify with that because I am not a strong black woman and I've never claimed to be one. Um, I'm, you know, very emotional. I'm very, um, and I, I do a lot of things on my own, but I do have people that support me and that uplift me when I need uplifting. And so when I saw the Can We Talk and it started really getting tra- gaining traction, I loved it. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think there are elements of that that you also probably implement in your workshop? Oh, absolutely. I think. First of all, I love what Taraji does with bringing mental health to the forefront and not being afraid of it. You know, when you're a celebrity, it's kind of like that strong black woman syndrome where you're not allowed to show vulnerability. You're supposed to just have the best clothes and have the best cars and always look your best in every picture, and that's it. Right. You're not supposed to show vulnerability and weakness, and she's courageous enough to do that. And I think that's what we all have to do. We have to be courageous enough to say, listen, I struggle with this, mm-hmm. you know, and because we all do, you know, and like you said, you don't submit to that uh, strong black woman stereotype because the fact of the matter is none of us are strong enough. None of us. So we can we can pretend like we are, but it's going to do us a disservice because we all need other people and we all need a higher power that's holding us up. And none of us are getting through any of this mm-hmm. on our own. So I do think it it does benefit us to step away from that because one of the things is that's kind of a, it's kind of a shelter too. I won't say it's a shortcut, but I think the strong black woman trope is a bit of a shelter away from having to feel your feelings to really process the hurt. You know, men, uh, we, we have a a bad uh, reputation and it's, we earned it of, of leaving women high and dry especially in the family and marriage area. Yes. And that leaves women with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt. I mean, it starts early, high school, 
you know, we're breaking, we're breaking women's hearts, breaking girls' hearts, and we, it's just a cycle that keeps going. And, you know, so women have a lot of hurt and pain on them, but you have to step to that. You have to be courageous enough to step to the line and deal with it so that you can get to that point where you can leave enough room for a partner in your life to balance you out. Mm. You know, that's the strong black woman stereotype does not leave room. And I know, and it was designed you know, for that most way. Of us black people, <laughs> yeah, it's designed that way. Yes. And for most black people, we've watched it. Our grandma, our moms, we've seen it. The strong black woman, okay, we love you, we admire you, we idolize you because you are holding it all down. But what about you? Yes. What about your heart? You have needs in your heart, and you, your, but you need balance, and you're not going to be allowed to have it if we all allow you to build this entire family on your back. Yes. Yes. It's and it's evident in so many I mean, even when I was reading Becoming by Michelle Obama and she was in the car with her mom and she said, I think I wanna, you know, do this mom and it was it was so left, right? It wasn't what her mom would have wanted. And she said, well, maybe raise the kids first and then do that. Or maybe, you know, and so yeah. it was more so the way that it made her feel was well, I want to do it now. And so we do struggle with that sometimes when I, I first told my mom, hey, mom, you know, I quit my job because I didn't ask her first because I knew. Um, <laughs> see, look at me. Stop talking about ass. I'm in the back seat. Talk about some ass and I'm grown. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I recognized it. But I said, mom, I quit my job. And I'm working for myself full time. And she said, you know, my, my youngest at the time was hadn't even started preschool yet. And she thought, well, dad, you couldn't have w at least waited until she was in kindergarten. And I couldn't even wait that long. Mm -hmm. I had to do it when the time was right for me to do it. And the time was my husband yeah. was saying, I'm on board. I got you whatever you need. And I was I was fed up with corporate America. So that was the time I left. Yeah. But as women and as quote unquote strong black women, we feel like, no, I gotta suffer. I ain't suffering enough. I can't I can't take this vacay without the kids. I can't go and get my pedicure. I can't blah 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 because the kids, the kids, the kids, or the husband, the husband, the husband, and the self-care is seen as selfish, right? So the stigma has to be, it has to be so I think that, you know, putting self-care as a forefront is important because we this is self-preservation. And then um, there's a, a lot of things that I hear about self-care is not selfish. But then in addition to that, um, making sure you're serving from your saucer and not from your cup. The, the cup the cup is for us, right? We pour into the cup so that we have what we need nourishment-wise and for our minds and bodies and spirits. But then the saucer is the overflow. And we got to make sure that saucer is where we're serving others from and not from our cup. So I think that those things are, are the biggest things that have kind of impacted my life as a mother, wife, you know, daughter, friend, um, and... You know, I'm sure that those are things that you talk about and touch on in your workshop as well. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we, we always touch on at every event that I do is a redefinition of love because I think that's what you're the center of the topic that you brought up with self-love 
and self-care, it's hard for us to give self-love because we don't know what love is. Right. You know, our definition of love is almost always romantic or sexual or self-centered receiving, you know, instead of trying to grow. You know, if we look in a biblical sense, you know, the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to be killed on the cross. So it's not love is not defined in God's terms through you're going to soak in a hot tub or, you know, you're going to have, you're going to get a massage and feel better. Mm. Everything's going to feel better. Love is come closer to me. Let me show you what I will sacrifice for you to grow you and make you better. Yes. You know, so a lot of times love doesn't feel good. So when, you know, and this is what I teach to my life coaching clients, what self-love really looks like, if you're a single person, self-love means let me reach out to a mentor and let me go stretch outside of my comfort zone and start learning and let God grow me. This is not going to be fun. Mm. But that's self-love. That means I'm going to, I need to grow. If I really want to enjoy myself and to have a balance in my life, because none of us are going to enjoy ourselves all the time, but we do need balance. Yes. So in order to get our balance, we got to go through some things. I got to go meet with a mentor. I got to go take this life group. I got to go take this class. I gotta let, I gotta start a regimen of reading this word. I gotta grow myself. I gotta take thirty minutes of just quiet time where I turn that music off. Yes. And just grow. And it's not gonna always feel good. I'm gonna have to go do something I don't want to do. Yes. That's self love. Yes. Pushing myself to do it because on the other side of that is deliverance and me being a better person. So if I love myself, I'm gonna go do this thing that I don't want to do. You know, and I think too many times we think it's spa day or, you know, duels will think it's let me go out with the fellas. Mm-hmm. Let me go and, the, the, you know, play some video games in the man cave. That's not really self-love because mm-hmm. that's not love. I love it. I love that. That's great. You brought up some really great points that I'm going to have to meditate on and journal about because you're right. You're absolutely right. It's, an, it's investing in yourself, that which is not necessarily something material or an experience, mm-hmm. but just more so, you know, investing for future self, right? Future needs, being a, a better servant, being in helping others in, in ways, building up um, resources so that you can help others as well. So it's just, it's not about always about self. It's just about giving back and making this world better than when we came, which is, you know, an ongoing thing. So, okay, let's talk about the, the last project, which is your, the it's a anthology, is it? Or what is it? How would you describe that? You know, it was a collaborative effort and it's actually not the last project. It kind of came in between the other two. Right. I mean, um, oh, I'm sorry. Was, I mean, the last one for us to talk about, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it was, basically when I put out the first book, um, there's this guy named Dominic Damaski. Shout out to my man Dom from Pittsburgh. He's an author and a motivator out there. He saw my story on Amazon and read my book and really loved it. And he had an idea to bring together uh, multiple men who are authors and fathers to all write on our perspective. You know, he wanted people, you know, who were 60. He wanted people who were 20. He wanted people who were black. He wanted people who were married, single. You know, he wanted all kinds of perspectives. And we all got a chance to write three chapters and say, what has uh, fatherhood been for me? What are the challenges? What are the great things about it? You know, so we can 
start celebrating fatherhood. And um, I know right now he also is doing the same thing with women. I think it's called Power Up. Uh, Power Up Superwomen is what his newest book is, where they have 10 women authors. So, um, you know, he, he just loves to do that, to empower people. And so we undertook that project. And it was really good to work with some other authors. Some of these guys are bestsellers, mm-hmm. you know, so to just sit there and, you know, kind of glean from them the business and just soak in their wisdom and stuff like that. It was a really good experience. Great. All right. So that's perfect. Just in time for um, for Father's Day, which is um, this weekend right now. Um, but by the time this yeah. this pod, this podcast episode comes out, it will be um, the prior Sunday. But it still is, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't still give it to a father. It doesn't mean that you can't look at Absolutely. someone who's about to have a child or someone that is a father or who is an uncle and give it to them or any man. Just in, because I'm sure that there's some things in there that's helping with man as well yeah especially if you know a young father out there right now yes you know um reach out to them support them you know we need them to fuck we got to do more than just critique them yes yes okay so what do you have going on anything upcoming that you're excited about uh well actually this coming uh wednesday which is june 19th um i will be delivering um the keynote speech at network notion business swap night um, just delivering my message to business owners and entrepreneurs um, because I think it's a transferable message. Just talking about how the, you know, our businesses will only go as far as our character mm-hmm. takes us. So it's just more of the applications of the driver's seat. Nice. I'm going to go ahead and share the flyer, if you have one, on um, Lyrical Innovations as well as Pinpoint Podcast. Um, but Thank if you. you are listening to this episode, it was yesterday, but that's okay. Don't worry about it because you can look for Jay. I'm sure he is going to have many events coming up around here in the Cleveland, Ohio area as well as do you do any regional or national projects or is that a goal for you as far as speaking? That That is a goal for me right now. Um, I've been booking uh, somewhat regularly um, right now. I was actually taking time off to write my new book, um, So, but I still book events and uh, speeches when I can. How can so, they reach um, you if they want to reach out? Book, so. Okay. And if they want to book you, how can they re- how can you be reached? Um, I can be reached via email at J-A-Y-F-L-O-Y-D-1 at gmail.com, jfloyd1 at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to my Facebook page, which is jfloydspeaksblocks. Instagram is jfloydspeaks. Or they can always contact me directly on my phone at 216 216- Six five nine three two eight nine. Okay. Um, I'm always working or doing. Um, I also lead um, a young adult ministry uh, groups uh, at New Community Bible Fellowship. Men eighteen to thirty. Uh, we'll be starting back up in September. Actually, late August, so they can come out to that on first and third Fridays as well. Perfect. So, any tips for those that are listening to this? Um, ep- this podcast episode because they are struggling with writer's block inspiration or maybe even that um little bit of imposter syndrome like who am i to write a book anything that you can say that can encourage them through that one i would say if you have that that drive then you already are a writer i remember when when my first book was coming out i think it was just being released and i did a radio interview and um, my man, Bashir Jones, who's a city councilman, 
was doing a, a radio interview the same day, and we kind of um, crossed paths, and we had known each other from the poetry scene, and I was like, you know, I'm trying to be an author, and I remember he looked directly at me and said, you are an author. Yes. You're just trying to release another book. That's it. You already are. And I'll never forget that because it is a part. You have to own it. If, you, if you've ever had one moment of drive that you already are an author, you know, and if you're struggling with writer's block, I would tell you um, the biggest thing is uh, what I learned from a quote from Octavia Butler is uh, routine trumps inspiration. Don't wait around for this divine, miraculous idea. Just start writing. You know, write something every day or every week. Uh, I, I like to write in Google Docs. That way I can have uh, access to my um, my material on my phone and my computer anywhere I'm at. So sometimes I'll just open a new Google Doc and just give it a name. Yes. You know, book book for 2020 and three words in there because it's, it's a lot easier to open that and edit it than it is to get started. Yes. I love it. That's wonderful. That's great advice. It's wonderful advice. And, and, and like you said, it's just, it's all in the attitude. If you have a message that you want to get out there, you have a book idea, just get it out there. It doesn't have to be perfect. You finesse it along the way. But the idea is to get started because it's better. What? You can't edit a blank page, right? It has to have something on it. So you just go and you put it out there and then the rest is history. That's how we all got started is by typing that one word on that page. So... Thank you so much for um, for joining us today. Word Bosses, you have heard Jay Floyd, who is a three-time author, working on his fourth project, speaker, motivator, life coach. So, you know, I'm always going to end with the same mantra because I believe in it wholeheartedly, which is you are a word boss, so you're going to own that writing process. Don't let it own you. You are bigger than your obstacles. And it, all it takes is that first word, typing that very first word to be a word boss. So join us next time on Pinpoint. Point your perspective podcast and once again you can reach jay floyd at the information he has shared with you it's also going to be um provided in our notes and uh thank you once again for joining us You're, you've been very motivational and inspirational and until next time guys